but what you should um, sort of have an eye on what we try to do is really the core of, of your your values and the, the kind of people you want to have keeping that that uh, as part of your interview process and as being really strict on hiring the right people there. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Alex Humer, and on this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I speak with Hanno Renner, CEO and co-founder of Personio, a holistic HR platform for small and medium businesses headquartered in Munich, Germany. Hanno started the company with his three co-founders two and a half years ago in their final year of university. They've since grown the company to 500 customers, 72 employees, and have raised $14 million in VC funding. Young, energetic, and excited about the experience, Hanno could easily be the poster child for being a SaaS entrepreneur. The most important thing he's learned along the way, however, is that all of this is possible only through finding and building the right team. In my conversation with Hanno, we cover topics like the interview and the onboarding processes in Personio. So we have defined eight operating principles, which we try to check in every every interview. And um, this is done by another head of, specifically someone who's far away from that area, who doesn't feel the growth, the, the pain that much of not having that person. Why you have to be incredibly strict with who you hire. Hiring someone uh, out, of, out of the need, uh, because you need to hire someone uh, and not because that's a great hire. That certainly is a, is a huge uh, pain which you then have to overcome. What is the guiding principle for setting the organizational structure? Concept of mission-based teams. So we try to outline the organization, try to really see uh, not just for a classical perspective regarding what we marketing, sales or whatever, but really trying to think, okay, what do we have to achieve along the customer journey and what missions uh, would we give? Before we get to my conversation with Hanno, a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS Revolution show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Makes a huge difference to us. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Hanno Renner, uh, CEO and uh, co-founder of uh, Personio. Welcome, Hanno. Hi, Alex. Good meeting you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's well. It's uh, good to. Uh, we, I mean, we've already met, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the first time was twenty. I want to say twenty sixteen at B two B Rocks in Paris, and yeah. something like that. And then uh, you were at SaaS Stock uh, both years. Twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both years. Cool. Loyal, loyal customer, loyal customer. Okay. <laughs> Definitely already got my tickets for next year. That's it. That's it. You, you, you the man. Uh, so, Hanno, um, look, uh, obviously, I think, you, you know, we, we, we've met, we've, we, we know each other, uh, but the audience doesn't know uh, who you are, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, right? So, um, so, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, who is, uh, who is Hanno Renner? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so from uh, my background, I've... Uh, I'm, I'm from Germany. I've, I've grew up in the south of Germany and then studied a couple of different places, both in Germany as well as New Zealand and, and York. And then um, spent uh, yeah most of my studies with like studying, doing a lot of stuff aside, uh, skippering sports, uh, but then also getting entrepreneurship towards the end of my studies. Worked on a different venture with a friend before and then founded Pesodio towards so the end, my, end of my studies in the last year. And um, yeah, then since have, has been an interesting path since, and now, now leading uh, the company as it's right now. What, what, what is Personio? 
Um, so Personio is a uh, holistic HR management and recruiting solution. We call it sort of the HR operating system because we cover all processes along the employee lifecycle from the recruiting, the managing the employees, all the data and the, the developing piece. And that's uh, what we've, we've started two and a half years ago. And uh, we're targeting uh, small, medium enterprises. So everyone between 10 and 1,500 employees in, in Europe would be our target segment. And as of now, we've a little bit over 500 customers. So for uh, two and a half years old, 500 customers, how much have you raised and uh, how many employees are you now? Yeah. Um, so we, we did actually bootstrap for the more, first one and a half years because we came out of university and didn't really need a lot of money. And then we're lucky enough to have a few early customers that paid the bills. And then after one and a half years, we raised a, a 2 million seed round. And then uh, one year later, raised another 12 million in the Series A from uh, Global Founders Capital and Northone. And um, from an employee uh, perspective, we grew bootstrapped to seven employees and then uh, raised the two rounds. And by now, we're a little bit over 72. Really pretty great growth uh, within uh, two and a half years. So uh, congrats for that. You must have had some uh, uh, pretty good traction to get from you know seed to series A very uh, uh, you know very quickly. Tell us a little bit about that. You know how what what do you think you know has uh, shaped in that two and a half years this uh, I, I guess kind of uh, initial success and initial traction that you've had. Yeah, I think what's what's been very um, like on the one hand, what, what certainly helped us, uh, I mean, you, you always need a good bit of luck to have the right timing and be in the right position. And we certainly are in a position where right now the, the HR market, which has been non-digitized, especially in that sort of more traditional administrative field for quite a while in that, that sector where we're in. And uh, that is as of now really changing and a lot of companies are looking and therefore it's a rather receptive market where we uh, as of up, to, uh, up until today, haven't done any outbound uh, calling, cold calling anyone because there's so much inbound and interest in the market that it's been just putting out this <laughs> software and people buying it. Um, but I think what, what still has helped us a lot in that initial traction phase and also coping with the growth as we're first-time founders is um, yeah, sort of establishing a good employee uh, structure and a good organization structure and um, getting to that point um, with some help from our early investors, uh, Stephanie, helped us sustain. So let's cover a couple of those points there. So first of all, you mentioned no outbound. Um, so it's great. You, these 500 customers, they've all, uh, they've all found Personio uh, and, and you've converted them you know, in, into uh, um, you know, Personio users. But how did, how did they find you? Have you been putting out content? You know, is it just kind of you know, Google search ads? What, what's the strategy there? Yeah. So very initially, the, uh, the first hundred customers uh, came only from sort of, a, I mean, obviously a little bit of own network in the very beginning, but then uh, quite quite soon, a lot of word of mouth and then organic referrals. And still, as of now, uh, 30% of our inbound leads are organic referrals because uh, HR is a space where people refer quite a lot. And um, yeah, we, we try to keep a close relationship with our customers. So they actually um, also are feeling just entitled to, to give something back. Um, and then since we've, we've tried uh, to increase other inbound and grow other inbound channels, which is content marketing on the one hand, which are the classical SEM um, bits, um, but also yeah, just and then doing a little bit of events uh, where we do invite 
people which haven't heard from us yet uh, and then put them together with other customers and basically fuel uh, that re referral engine a little bit by, by putting those people together in a room. Uh, another factor of your, I, I guess, initial success, um, uh, you mentioned just about, you know, in, in the early days, and it is still the early days, you know, putting the right organizational kind of structure, uh, you know, in place. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about why you thought that was so important to kind of put in place, like, I, I guess, you, you know, straight away and, and how you've like evolved that in, in just, you know, such a short uh, space of time as you've grown to, you know, 75 employees. Uh. So I do think if, if you've never built and grown a company and if you're uh, sort of then raising a decent round and then you, you have the capacity to grow, it's, uh, it can happen quite easily that you, you're sort of, Kind of, kind of get it, getting overwhelmed with the growth and just um, doing a lot of things. Um, yeah, a little bit. I wouldn't say wrong, but just messing things up a little bit by just not being being able to um, to know or to structure it. And people like hiring a lot of people who don't know what to do. And there, as I said, we were quite lucky. We didn't. We never really had an angel round, but in our seed round, um, we had some angels participating, uh, which luckily were were willing to pay the high valuation for an angel angel ticket. And um, and they were they had just sold uh, their business and, and were sort of free, had some time, but also uh, were always very much into organizational design. And they gave us quite some guidance on on how to to structure um, the organization, how to also before hiring the people put a rough structure in place um, where to put them. And, and I think what really helped us uh, there is the concept of mission based team. So we try to outline the organization, try to really see uh, not just for a classical perspective regarding what we marketing sales or whatever, but really trying to think, okay, what do we have to achieve along the customer journey and what missions uh, would we give each of these functions? And, and by thinking these missions, you're much better in cutting off certain uh, areas where, where does sales start, where does marketing end, well, how about customer success, uh, are they connected, are they not connected, and, and all that st uh, stuff really really helped us uh, to establish just this initial uh, concept of the company and then being also better in hiring towards that. How, how did you um, how did you go about finding these business angels? Was it just within somebody within your network, friends and family? Um, how, how did that relationship come to be? Yeah, so they were uh, they were in our network. Um, we we all of, me and all my co-founders studied at a, a CDTM, that's the Center for Digital Technology and Management in Munich. From the TU Munich is sort of a separate um, area, and uh, there uh, all these these the angels have studied there a couple of years before before founding their company. It's a very entrepreneurship driven uh, institute uh, where a lot of companies are being founded, and um, yeah, we got got to know them through them uh, that. And when we initially wanted to raise the raise first round of money we sort of started talking with them and they were really interested and really wanted to do it but then sort of the whole fundraise became came a little bit traction on its own and took us further towards where we started wanting to raise uh, sort of two to five hundred k from some angels uh, we ended up with term sheets over two million from from vcs um, and then that was sort of the point where we said uh, but we still do think that it adds value to have angels on board and there that's where we we both told the vcs that we want to share uh, like uh, have a part of the round reserved for those angels and discuss with them and they were willing to pay sort of the premium um, on the round and, and still participate. Uh, and, and, and it was a lot of their influence that um, came into the, the organizational structure in the, the, the early days, as, as you mentioned, and this, this concept of mission-based teams, uh, was that something that, um, you, you know, the, the, the angels kind of recommended that, uh, that you uh, implement within Personio? 
Yeah, yeah. So the, those are the the four founders of, of Stylite, which is a German e-commerce uh, company which they've built, and they always spend uh, quite a lot of time actually researching and trying out different organizational designs. And what I really appreciated about their input, and that I think something which is very important about Angel in general, is that they gave a lot of input and shared their learnings, but not with it directly. This is how you have to do it because this is the way to do it. But they said, okay, we build a successful e-commerce fashion company based on um, these learnings. And they might not all apply to a SaaS B2B business, but they might, um, but that you definitely can draw something out of it. And that was really helpful that they sort of shared all their learnings and we could then pick uh, the things which, which we, we liked and uh, do think a lot of the learnings very well, very helpful. But there were obviously also things which were inapplicable to our business or wouldn't make sense. And that was not something where they tried to push anything into us, but it was just like doing <laughs> drop, uh, brain brain dumping their their knowledge and experiences. Yeah, no, no. It's, it, it, I think it, it's a, a good sort of uh, example of where you know uh, business angels, you know, investors can really you know influence you know first time founders, and um, certainly, uh, I mean, would you say without that? Um, uh, you know the, the recommendations around organize, organizational structure. Uh, you, you would be where you are today. I I definitely think we would have had much more growth pains. Uh, we would definitely had much more sort of struggles along the way of of trying to to figure it out. And probably like I've heard from from other startups who like at thirty or fifty people ha- having to reorganize things. And obviously you don't do everything. Even if you plan upfront, you don't do anything everything right. And you to change and adapt a little bit, but it's much easier than sort of hiring just randomly and then from out of out of your, your with no experience and then uh, later on just really messing things up and hiring potentially the wrong people or structuring the wrong way and then it's, it's really painful because if with people if you have to reorganize at that early stage, uh, a lot of the startup drive goes lo- uh, just gets lost and then people are getting annoyed because you you have to make people unhappy because some people uh, positions which you might thought or some structures don't pan out anymore and therefore i think this is something which you wouldn't want to deal with at that early stage which might still happen early uh, at a later stage but uh, if you can avoid it by by planning it a little bit more in detail earlier and doing this organization design that definitely helps you mentioned or used the word sort of, you know, uh, growth or growing pains. Um, many startups, uh, if not all, um, you, you know, face those uh, sort of growth uh, pains if they are, in, uh, in fact, you know, growing companies. Um, you've obviously grown to 75 employees in, um, you know, two and a half years. Um, what, what is your, your number one uh, sort of growth pain? Um, I think you sort of uh, mentioned it uh, uh, earlier. Yeah, I think what, sort of one of the the biggest pains, uh, like I think mo- there's there's several types, but most uh, growth pains c- go along with with managing people, especially if you're uh, not that experienced, have, doesn't have, don't have bring in that much experience. So it's it's about um, giving people uh, the wrong people to to uh, like the wrong responsibilities, or um, and then having to to change things again. Um, it's uh, what we. We had like hiring the right, the wrong people. Also, is definitely a huge pain. We which we also still, despite some of the learnings, had to had to learn and and where we designed a very detailed interview process uh, now to to avoid those because hiring someone uh, out of out of the need uh, because you need to hire someone uh, and not because that's a great hire. That certainly is a, is a huge uh, pain which you then have to overcome and then later on learn that it's 
sometimes better even if you're burning for that hire to wait another three or four months until you find the right person. How, how, how do you define, um, I guess, kind of the, the ideal hire, uh, you know, for, for Personio? Um, you, you know, what do you uh, set off to kind of look out, you know, look for uh, in the person and, you know, that makes them the right fit? And, and then, you know, from, I guess, the uh, creation of the, uh, the initial kind of job posting to, you know, getting those uh, people in the interview uh, sort of rooms uh, with you? So I think one thing which we, we always try to, to do up front um, is uh, obviously within this, this structure, def- defining very clearly the role and the responsibility and, and then, then what, uh, sort of trying to find out what, what, what kind of fit person we, we would need. Um, and then uh, we have a quite, um, and then obviously like our HR team is trying different or using different channels in, in trying to get the funnel uh, filled up because in the end it's not, not much different than, than a marketing funnel where you do you need a, a good good quality candidates but also just a certain number to choose from to also make you learning throughout the process and then we have a quite uh, quite detailed interview process which uh, has, has five stages which um in the first one it's just hr pre-interviewing them via phone interview or skype and trying to, to have the, the basic match on the requirements with a with person and once that has happened uh, we'll put them together with, with the team lead or a hiring manager which is usually the head of, of the department and then uh, that person checks a little bit more detail and then does some maybe first case or something to just really uh, do I would would I want to have that person in the interview. Um, then we do a second um, stage where where the team uh, also gets to interview the person. So uh, one or two people out of the team, usually two, uh, do a peer interview as opposed to check the fit in both ways. And then I think one of the most important stages or uh, the two ones that uh, come is a value and a founder interview. So we have defined eight operating principles, which we try to check in every every interview. And um, this is done by another head of, specifically someone who's far away from that area, who doesn't feel the growth, the, the pain that much of not having that person. And then who checks very objectively based on our operating principles, um, whether that person would, would fit in the overall company and would pr- provide value. And then lastly, there's still, at least as of now, we still have a founder interview where two of us uh, check the candidate as a final check, a little bit also on those operating principles and values. And do we see that person overall fitting into the company? And uh, do we see that that person has, understand the role, has understood the role very well and, and is keen on doing that? And, uh, and through, that, through those five stages, we usually um, yeah, get to <laughs> then, uh, very decent candidates. I, I think you, you might have mentioned um, in your uh, talk at Sastock this year um, something about uh, a 20-second gut feeling theory. Uh, <laughs> does that sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something which I personally do within each of the interviews I take, no matter whether I'm in the team lead role or in the in the founder role. I always, um, when when I when I start the conversation or even just like by meeting the person, you always have this gut feeling. You're like, oh shit, like there's now going to be half an hour wait because I already realized that this person doesn't fit. Or you say, yeah, there's a great candidate, uh, let's just sign him. And in both cases. I believe that noting that first gut feeling down or making, we use our own tool and I have my laptop usually in the interviews. So I directly tri- click on uh, continue or a decline in, in our tool, which is not then set, but I can change it afterwards. But then sort of my, my gut feeling is down. And then for the next uh, half hour of the interview, I try to convince myself of, of the opposite. So if I have um, selected reject, uh, then I try to find only reasons uh, which convince me of the opposite during the interview. 
and if I if I said yeah, like continue with that candidate, then I'll I'll try to find for reasons why why I w- this person wouldn't be a fit. And then in the end, I put those two opinions together. And oftentimes, I'd say that probably two thirds of the time, I uh, I stick with the initial opinion. Um, but then uh, it's it's much more sort of an educated opinion than just a gut feeling because I've, I've found other other reasons. Uh, but then there's just times where you realize, oh shit, I really had a wrong gut feeling. And uh, therefore, it's it's worth trying really to challenge yourself on that and not being biased in the interview. Given that, of course, time is a um, you know a, a scarce resource and precious, you, you know, for for all. Uh, if you have these initial sort of you know gut feelings, or even if the initial five minutes of the interview, let's say, is not going very well, uh, do you ever cut the interview short, or do you always you know give the the, the allotted time to the candidate? Um, uh, that uh, that you've planned. I do sometimes shorten. I would never like from based on that gut feeling. As I said, I would always try to give give uh, the candidate and myself the chance to convince me of of the opposite. And therefore, I, I would uh, would not just after five minutes cut the interview and say, okay, this this doesn't work out. But um, but like uh, usually, I I think we we schedule thirty to forty five minutes depending on the stage of the interview for each interview, and and sometimes I. I like either after, if I'm really convinced after 20 minutes, I would say, come on, let's go further. Um, or if, if I'm really sure that doesn't work out and, I, and I've challenged my, my initial opinion several times and then I would, would try to not go too much in detail and make it a little bit shorter, but I would still allocate enough time, especially if you hire, want to hire someone to make sure that this is the right person. Uh, and what, once you found that right person, you know, how do you uh, onboard them? Is there anything special about the way you onboard them? Do you think uh, at Personio? Um, I think uh, actually onboarding, I, I believe, oftentimes doesn't get enough, uh, yeah, sort of attention uh, and, and not the attention it needs. And um, that's also one thing where, like, we obviously use our own tool, and which which helps us a lot there in, in structuring the onboarding process and making sure that it works the same way for everyone. And there, um, I think it's really important to note down whatever steps these are. Uh, these are to have everything what is required for successful onboarding. So all all teams have obviously their individual content-wise onboarding, which which they've they've slides for and the clear structure of what happens over the first three to, to five five weeks. But then in addition, there's also just a company-wide onboarding where it's important that, that a, uh, HR, office management, and everyone involved make sure that the, the person comes into the office, knows what to, has the information beforehand, what, what to expect, um, has, has everything they need to, to work with uh, from the first day on. Because on the one hand, it obviously makes people just way product, uh, productive, way quicker. Um, but on the other hand, it also gives this really positive uh, experience for the for the applicant that comes in the first uh, day and and you can even as a startup make a very very uh, structured and professional approach um, uh, pro, uh, like sort of yeah give a uh, picture of your which is very structured and professional if you go um, in and if you structure your onboarding well and we oftentimes get feedback from applicants who also come from large organizations that it it just feels much more organized and that they um, seem to be yeah way way quicker on track and that helps the company but also makes the the embryo usually much more happy 
Um, so you, you're 75 people now. I think you, you mentioned um, uh, uh, that you, you've got probably about sort of 30, 35 open job applications uh, at Personio as well. So uh, you, you're going to be over 100 uh, uh, people, person, organisation, you know, at some point early 2018. With this rapid growth uh, and, you know, growth to like 100 person plus company, how do you uh, look to sustain the culture uh, that you created? Uh, you know, and is, is that culture the same as it? You, you know, do you, do you, if you look back, you know, two and a half years ago, um, you know, which is not not that long ago, you know, is it is it still the same? Or do you really see it kind of changing the the the, the, the faster and faster that you grow? I do think parts of it change. Um, like obviously, it's it's a different feeling. Also work for for myself, but for everyone in the company, also the early employees working in a in a seventy five hundred people organization than it is in a five people organization where everyone sits in one room, and um, therefore I think it's um, it, it you, you cannot ch- prohibit that, and that you also shouldn't, and it's it's fine that it changes. But what you should um, sort of have an eye on, what we try to do is really the core of of your your values and the, the kind of people you want to have keeping that, that uh, as part of your interview process and as being really strict on hiring the right people there uh, and rather rejecting something if that doesn't fit is really important to making sure that still the people you want to have and the people you want to have um, being happy in your company should also feel that way through the fact that you get the right people and get match matching ones and, uh, and that, that other people then enjoy working with them. So I think this, this definitely is, an, is a huge driver and, and making sure that the culture while it changes as because it's a larger company still has uh, or has the right peer person or the person you want to have in that culture strive and enjoy their work um bringing it back to i, I guess kind of you and the, uh, the 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 role of the the, the ceo uh you're a first-time founder uh you know as you, as you mentioned um you know pretty uh, sort of you know young guy as well like you know started this business you know after you've come out of university um, if you could sort of like pinpoint like one major learning, uh, you know, as a first time founder, you know, for, I guess, other first time founders, um, uh, that you could share with them, you know, uh, can you think what that might be? <laughs> I think, I mean, you, you learn, you learn a bunch of things and, and wouldn't, uh, pin it down to one, which is the biggest one, but I think one really important one is around that, uh, sort of defining people and then, uh, and then, being from the beginning on and how hard that is because in the beginning you hardly have organic applicants you don't have money to get more but still being very strict and really diligent on who you want to be on have on board because you just touched on the culture piece and uh, like if you early on mess up the, the people both from an Culture fit, but also from a from a quality standpoint. If you have in your first five engineers, one who's, who's really bad, he draws down the overall average. If you have um, some person which is dicks, then then like you might have lose other ones which are really contributing. So I think, yeah, being really really diligent on who you get on board early on is definitely one one big learning. And then the second one which probably is a more generic one, but one uh, which I would say is one of my biggest one is thinking ahead, like thinking what if you, like you always have this one or two big problems, which you're really busy with and which really annoy you. But then while you're in the midst of solving them, 
trying to think what's going to be the next problem that, that you face after you've solved this existing one, which we, for example, had in the beginning where we, for a very long time, we grew organically. Everything went well. I was the only salesperson. We didn't need marketing. But then we realized, okay, we cannot add more customers without having uh, people who onboard them. So we built a customer success organization, had sort of the onboarding path, and that, that was, was great. And, and once that was done, we had the capacities. We realized, okay, now to sustain our business plan and the growth, we now need, uh, need to have more uh, people in sales who can sell the product uh, because there's still so much inbound and I cannot handle them all alone. Then, I, and then we hired the salespeople and they, they handle the inbound. And then we were at a point where we realized, oh, now we actually need marketing to generate more leads for the salespeople. And just about these, and that happens in several areas, but there's a very common one across our value chain where we always sort of solve the problem at hand and then realized what would happen after what sort of was the next one. And it would have been obvious if we thought about it first to think, okay, what after I have solved this problem will be the next one that backs me. No, absolutely. And what about your, um, you know, do you have a typical week? I mean, you mentioned in the early days that I guess you uh, added the co-founders, you were the, the person that, that led the sales, right? But uh, what about now? You've got a sales team. Um, how, do you, how do you spend your time across the week? Yeah. So for now, and that's one of my, my biggest struggles at the moment is uh, that we they still miss two people in the executive team. So we have everyone sorted out except from sales and marketing. So if there's any great uh, SaaS salespeople listening or head of HR, then please let me know because we're looking for two, um, for both. However, uh, this is the two teams which I still uh, lead directly and where I also have to do the feedback meetings and the, the weekly uh, team meetings and stuff like that. Um, but then aside from me, usually during the day, it's, I, I'm feel myself being in an enabling function the whole time. So I hardly work on stuff myself, uh, between uh, nine or 6 PM because that's where, where other people need me. We have meetings where I try to sort of unblock them, um, and stuff like that. And then in the, the evenings, uh, I usually spend my time like going through my emails, uh, doing more strategic stuff and also on weekends, uh, where, where I have the time to really think through things to, to prepare, the sort of the next board meeting to think through the other stuff. That's that's how I currently structure it, and and I hope that with the new executive hires, I can free up a little bit of time during the week as well, and and not block that many people with with doing working on my own tasks and to do. Yeah, that that would explain. I, I was going to say, um, if I looked back through my inbox history of uh, any communication between me and you, uh, I'd always get an email response at like uh, some very late hour on the weekend. So I'm assuming that's when you're clearing through your uh, your emails. Um, uh, but um, so it sounds it sounds like you're you're working pretty long days, uh, you know, and through the weekends uh, as, as well. And I guess like, as a young guy, you, you, hopefully you, you you've got that that energy. But um, what about work-life balance? Is there much work-life balance at the moment, or is it ma- is it mainly work? As it, as it sounds like that, um, it is certainly uh, mostly work at the moment, uh, which still for me feels fine because both. I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and on the other hand, obviously, it's always easy. Obviously, when things go well, which is so far, we've like there's ups and downs in every, every startup, but we never really had a a significant down period but it was always sort of an upward trend and very rapid growth that that obviously helps to to stay motivated and and put in that that long hours um however i think uh, and i still sort of benefit a bit from the time beforehand where i was a student i was doing exchange semesters i was working as a skipper spending a lot of time sort of traveling and i think that that piles up some some amount of of, um, 
like life balance, which you can can draw down now. Um, but I still do think obviously it, it, there's not a, a state which can hold on for for five years. So um, I've, I've yeah, I try to to compensate with a little sports um, in the mornings and, and evenings or sometimes in a break. But um, apart from that, I just try yeah enjoy my the ride so far. Have you had a vacation in the last two and a half years? I did do one, the, the first one, uh, and, and this uh, I think five five weeks ago, uh, and it was uh, with with one of my co-founders and two of the management team, and we would have the laptop with us, and, <laughs> and it wasn't like a like full sw- switch off vacation, but at least it was a little bit going out of the office, and even if it helps to just think about some some more high level topic, which in the daily day day life you you miss out on. Well, it sounds like uh, I mean so, soon enough you uh, you deserve a a vacation without your colleagues uh, and your laptop. Um, but uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like you're, you're doing some great things, uh, Hanno, with uh, with Personio. Um, and uh, yeah, just really want to thank you for uh, uh, for being on the, this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show today. Thanks, Alex, and speak soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with Hanno Renner, CEO and co-founder of Personio, and have picked up valuable insight on how to hire and onboard your hires, how to create the sustainable culture for them to thrive in. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review it on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.